1: Moscow now blames the U.S. for the alleged drone attack on the Kremlin. Trying to blame
2: Washington, D.C. is uh, is another means by which they try to convince the Russian people
1: that they aren't losing to Ukraine. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas visits the southern border ahead of the end of Title 42. I believe he needs to be impeached and he needs to go. Economists warn that confidence in the banking sector is still... Shaky.
0: Small and regional banks are very big contributors uh, to the economy.
1: This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Friday, May 5th. I'm Mike Scott. While Russian drones attacked the Ukrainian capital of Kiev, Moscow began pointing the finger at the U.S., for an alleged drone attack on the Kremlin. Now
3: overseas,
0: the White House is strongly denying it had anything to do with two drones that exploded over the Kremlin yesterday morning and what Russia claims was an assassination attempt on Vladimir Putin. Putin was not at the Kremlin at the time of the alleged drone attack and the two explosions did little damage to the Russian equivalent of the White House. Ukraine's president yesterday immediately denied that his forces had anything to do with the brazen attack. And now there are questions about whether Putin is using a false flag operation to escalate tensions with the West.
1: However, John Kirby, the coordinator for strategic communications at the National Security Council, is flatly denying the allegation.
3: The United States was not involved in this incident in any way contrary to Mr. Peskov's lies. That's what they are, just lies.
1: Mark Esper is the former defense secretary under the Trump administration and says that while some believe the drone attack was a false flag, he tends to believe that it's something else.
2: I think it's possible that it, it could be a false flag, but I'm actually more inclined to think that it is either a pro-Ukrainian group in Russia that uh, launched these attacks, or it is an uh, anti-Putin group in Russia that did so, uh, g- given the nature of it, uh, the proximity, and the fact that, in my perspective, it wasn't intended to in- assassinate or do massive damage, but intended to embarrass the Kremlin. And that's kind of where I draw my conclusions from.
1: The former defense secretary goes on to say that Russia is currently trying to blame America for the attack to rally Russians around the war effort in Ukraine.
2: In this case, too, for, for a drone to be launched from Ukraine, it would have to traverse hundreds of miles to get to Moscow and then make its way through Russian air defense systems. My, my suspicion is this was locally launched and delivered and, again, intended to embarrass uh, the Kremlin. Now, what the Kremlin is doing in return is trying to use it as a means to rally the Russian people because uh, they know that if an offensive is coming. They know that they've lost tens of thousands of troops in, in Russia and the uh, Russian people aren't fully behind them. And then on top of this now, trying to blame Washington, D.C., is uh, is another means by which they try to convince the Russian people that they aren't losing to Ukraine, they are losing to um, the United States and NATO. And this is part of their strategic information, uh, disinformation and messaging that they're trying to do.
1: Esper believes that Russia has lost so many soldiers that they may use the alleged attack on the Kremlin as an impetus for another draft. Last
2: uh, fall they had a draft. They they brought in 300,000 young men or so. And many Russians also left the country, went into exile. And then since then, uh, the DOD reports that well over 200,000 Russians have been killed or, in, or, or injured in the conflict. 90% of Russians' land army has been committed. Uh, they don't, not only do they not have the material and the ammunition to, to, to really prosecute their own type of offensive, they are running out of men. And at some point, they're going to have to turn to an additional draft. Now, they, they do a draft twice a year, but I'm talking about an additional conscription on top of that in order to replace their
1: losses. There are currently no peace talks to end the war in Ukraine, which has killed thousands of people and driven millions from their home. The leader of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tarrio, and three other members of the group were convicted of seditious conspiracy for their roles in the Capitol rioting. Daybreak Insider's Ed Donahue has more details... On this story, seditious conspiracy is a difficult charge to prove.
2: Specifically, conspiring to oppose by force the lawful transfer of presidential power. Tarrio wasn't in Washington on the day of the riot, but prosecutors say he directed the Proud Boys' attack. These convictions will likely embolden Attorney General Merrick Garland and the Justice Department moving forward. After three trials, we have secured the convictions of leaders of both the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers for seditious conspiracy. The seditious conspiracy charge carries a prison sentence of up to 20 years. In court, a lawyer for Tario tried to push the blame onto Donald Trump, arguing the former president incited the pro-Trump. Trump mobs attack Ed Donahue, Washington.
1: Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas traveled to the southern border ahead of the lifting of Title 42. On the scene, reporter Marky Martin explains the purpose of the Mayorkas trip.
4: TITLE 42 ENDS A WEEK FROM TODAY, AND BORDER COMMUNITIES ARE EXPECTING uh, THOSE CROSSINGS TO REACH ALL-TIME HIGHS. IN FACT, BORDER PATROL SAYING THAT LEADING UP TO ITS TERMINATION NEXT THURSDAY, THEY'VE ALREADY SEEN THOSE NUMBERS SURGE TO ABOUT 7,000 ENCOUNTERS A DAY. THEY FULLY EXPECT THAT NUMBER TO SKYROCKET TO 10,000. SO THE WHITE HOUSE HERE IS REALLY BRACING FOR IMPACT. AND TODAY, HOMELAND SECURITY SECRETARY ALEJANDRO MAYORKAS IS VISITING TEXAS'S RIO GRANDE VALLEY to review law enforcement preparations ahead of Title 42 sunset. So today he's meeting with Homeland Security workers, local leaders, law enforcement partners in that region. This trip comes following the announcement that 1,500 U.S. troops will deploy to the southern border for 90 days to help with administrative efforts. The White House also announcing further partnership with Mexico, deporting some non-Mexican migrants. Um, actually, Mexico's agreed to accept about 30,000 migrants each month to alleviate the number of migrants wanting to come here into the United States.
1: Martin says that it's not just border towns that are worried about what will happen once Title 42 is lifted.
4: You're talking about cities like El Paso, which entered a state of emergency on Monday, anticipating this influx in just a matter of days. It's not just border communities. It's not just border states sounding alar- the alarm. You have places like Chicago, New York, D.C., who also have concerns. And at this hour, we are waiting to see uh, and hear more specifics about Mallorca's visit.
1: Martin reports that next week, House Republicans will vote on their border security bill, once again putting the ball in President Biden's court.
4: Some of the criticism that we've heard from the Biden administration is that Republicans refuse to put any sort of plan forward, but that's expected to change next week when House Republicans are expected to vote on their Secure Border Act of 2023. That plan, Natasha, that's going to propose some Trump-era policies, including restarting construction of the border wall.
1: Meantime, the president's immigration policy has been a lightning rod for Republican criticism and That criticism is likely to get even more intense when the Title 42 policy that expelled migrants during the COVID-19 pandemic expires next week. However, back at the White House, they say they're preparing as best they can
3: don't have any numbers to share for you at this time. Uh, I don't have um, uh, we don't have a kind of speculation or h- hypotheticals on what will happen once Title 42 lifts. We just know that we are preparing uh, for that uh, for that to occur on May 11th and uh, we'll continue to do that.
1: Meantime, the mayor of El Paso, Texas, Oscar Leeser, says his city is bracing for nearly 12,000 migrants to come across the border. There's about 10 to 12,000 ready to come over now, and uh, we need to be prepared and uh, we will be prepared. Uh, do we have the proper resources? That's what we're working on to making sure that, that we will. But the biggest thing is that our immigration process is broken, It's been broken for a long time until they fix it. but right now there is no end game. Republican Congressman Anthony Desposito of New York says that the Mayorkas visit comes way too little and way too late. Uh, Too little, too
5: late. Uh, You know, I visited the border twice. The first uh, was during the campaign. The second I visited uh, probably a couple of months ago. And I will tell you this. uh, When you speak to the Customs and Border Patrol agents, and I have a unique way to uh, have a conversation with them, uh, being a retired member of the New York City Police Department, serving as a detective there for over a decade, I could speak to them cop on cop. And as I mentioned in that hearing that we had with uh, Secretary Mayorkas, they don't like him. They don't like his leadership. They don't like the way that he's uh, treating them. And he doesn't like the way that they're, that he's undermining them. And quite frankly, he's putting them and their families in danger, and it needs to stop.
1: The New York Republican says that while he's happy the Biden administration is doing some things, damage has already been done
5: well it's about time that they're doing something because we've heard for months now whether it was our vice president who is the czar to the southern border or our president the administration that the border was secure there was no issues down there now all of a sudden they're sending dod personnel secretary has flat out told us that there is operational control at the southern border you're looking at videos that i took with my own camera that doesn't look like operational control, nor do any of the videos that we've seen over the last weeks and months. There's a real problem down there. And the fact is, is that they've ignored it. And the, the one time that President Biden visited the southern border, you know, it it was set up. I mean, he went down there. Everything was cleaned up like there, like there. There was no issues. It looked like uh, Main Street USA in Disney World. That's not the way to go uh, go down and visit the border. If you want to visit the border, you need to go down there and talk to the people that are mm-hmm. each and every day uh, along that that route, and they're dealing with this, and, and, and they need the resources. They need the support. And you know what they really need? They need a leader that has their back, and they don't have their backs.
1: Desposito says he believes Mayorkas needs to be impeached. I I take those oaths very serious, especially his,
5: to protect and defend our homeland. And quite frankly, he's failed at it. He's taken that oath and he's laughed in its face. And yes, I believe he needs to be impeached and he needs to go.
1: Former President Donald Trump implemented Title 42, and for months, the Biden administration has been rolling out new policies in anticipation of the end of that program. One new policy requires migrants to schedule an appointment for an asylum interview through a new app, which many complain routinely crashes, making the app all but completely useless. House Republicans' request of an FBI document that they say alleges a criminal scheme involving Joe Biden when he served as vice president needs to be in their hands. Daybreak Insider's Edwin Mora has more on this developing story on Capitol Hill.
4: Republican House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer from Kentucky this week issued a subpoena demanding that the FBI produce a record related to an alleged, quote, criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Joe Biden in a foreign national. Comer sent the subpoena to FBI Director Christopher Wray, giving him until May 10th to produce an unclassified FD-1023 document, which is generally defined as a report from an informant. In a statement, Comer explained that the FD-1023 document Allegedly details an arrangement involving an exchange of money for policy decisions. Edwin Mora, Washington.
1: On Wednesday, the U.S. Navy unveiled its use of a drag queen influencer to try and help persuade new recruits join the military amidst a massive recruitment crisis. Yeoman second class Joshua Kelly, who goes by the stage name, Harpy Daniels, and identifies as non-binary, is the new digital ambassador in the Navy's pilot program to try and attract new recruits. Almost instantly, there was a backlash from critics and others who felt the use of social media influencers and a drag queen for recruitment was at the very least bizarre. Kristen Davidson is a Republican strategist and was asked about the move by the Navy. She says it speaks to a larger issue with recruiting. I think
3: this is a this is a, a sign of a, of a bigger issue. And so Dave McCormick ran for Senate in Pennsylvania uh, last year, wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal last month about this, identifying this, you know, American exceptionalism crisis that we're having as a country. There are a number of things that, that we can do, that our schools can do, um, promoting, you know, the, this, this sense of service and um, the American spirit and also finding, you know, more incentives to join, more, you know, with school, with with other reasons for, for people to join the military. The fact that we're talking about using an influencer, and I don't care if it was a drag queen or, you know, my sister doing an Instagram influence, it just seems like we are up against major competitors in the world like China.
1: Davidson says that the left has pushed patriotism to the brink. In younger generations.
3: Well, I think it's, it's something that as a society, and frankly, the woke left have, has pushed uh, to the back burner in, in places of, of, you know, Instagram and TikTok. I mean, we should, we need to refocus and, and, and realign where we are as a society.
1: Concerns have continued to grow over the military's major recruitment challenges as it struggles to hit recruitment goals. Recent surveys found only about 13% of young Americans are highly willing to serve in the nation's armed forces. Many economic experts still believe that there is a lot of uncertainty surrounding the banking industry in spite of reassurances from regulators. This week, bank shares have been pummeled in the wake of the government seizure of San Francisco's First Republic Bank and its sale to banking behemoth J.P. Morgan Chase. It was the second largest bank failure in U.S. history and the third failure of a midsize to large lender in two months. Katie Koch is CEO of TCW, an asset management firm, And she joins the Daybreak Insider to say that she believes many are too optimistic about the economy.
0: The main takeaways is that people look a little too happy for me here. We're a little bit more pessimistic about the global outlook. And I'm struck by the fact that I think sentiment's actually still relatively positive here. Um, we're really looking at TCW for a macro environment that's going to be pretty challenging. And so we're in the camp of having a, a medium to hard landing.
1: Koch explains why she feels that a lot of people are still optimistic about certain parts of the economy.
0: The main reason for that is that it's kind of correlates to the fact that the markets haven't really started to correct aggressively yet, number one. And number two, people understand that the Fed now has firepower to, to cut if they need to, to support markets. And I think that gives people a a kind of sense of confidence that, that things could be okay.
1: The TCW CEO states that many small and regional banks play a big part in our economy, and when a few fail, it shouldn't be dismissed.
0: People shouldn't be mistaken that that somehow makes it uh, less severe um, in any way. Actually, small and regional banks are very big contributors uh, to the economy and to jobs. Just You you may be aware, but about 50% of Americans are employed by small businesses. Uh, It contributes about 50% to to GDP, small businesses do. And when you look at uh, companies with 100 or fewer employees, um, 70% of their commercial and industrial financing comes from small and regional
1: banks. Banking experts worry that a few bank failures might lead to doubts about relatively healthy regional banks, creating a financial contagion that could impact the wider economy. The standoff continues in Congress over raising the nation's debt ceiling with a possible partial default becoming more of a reality. We get more on this from our Daybreak Insider, Jackie Quinn.
4: The Treasury Department has warned the U.S. government could default on its debt as early as June 1st, but Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says the House GOP can't use that to force Democrats to agree to sharp budget cuts.
5: To sneak their radical proposals through the back
1: door.
4: Iowa Republican Chuck Grassley says the president will have to meet with the House
3: speaker to work out a compromise. This is an opening bid.
4: Economist Mark Zandi with Moody's Analytics told lawmakers the political Political tension isn't helping the U.S. economic recovery.
1: We need to end this drama as quickly as possible.
4: I'm Jackie
0: Quinn.
1: Test scores in history and civics declined for 8th grade students across the U.S. We get more on the testing scores from Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker.
3: The National Assessment of Educational Progress shows an increasing number of children lack a basic understanding of either subject. Nearly one-third of eighth-grade students, 31 percent, cannot describe the structure or function of government according to the results. In October, that same assessment reported that every single state had seen a decline in math or reading scores amid the pandemic. Officials say the latest scores reflect more of the impact of the disruptions from the virus that shuttered schools across the country. I'm Julie Walker.
1: And finally, one man is proving you're never too old to stay in shape. John Hamilton is one of Britain's last remaining Dunkirk veterans. And he still walks a mile every day after celebrating his 105th birthday. During World War II, he was stranded on the beach at Dunkirk with his unit, the First King's Dragoon Guards. They were rescued in one of the more memorable operations for the British when dozens of civilian, industrial, and recreational ships crossed the English Channel to help soldiers stranded on the beach. Hamilton remembers his time fighting at Dunkirk. In 1937, at 18, I joined the Territorial Army. When war broke out on the 3rd of September, 1939, I was embodied, and by the 5th of September, we were in France. In May, we had to retreat, and we retreated towards Dunkirk. And when we got to Dunkirk, we were ordered to put our guns up and try to shoot down the incoming German bombers and uh, uh, other fighter planes. Thinking on his time in the gym, Hamilton says he's thankful to inspire other seniors to continue to look after their health.
2: Nobody has told me I'm too old. What I hope to do, what I have done older people, I've inspired them.
1: I've inspired older people to come to the gym, people in their 70s. People in their 70s and 80s, they see me exercising and say, well, if he can do that, why shouldn't I? And that's it. Here I am. Hamilton now lives in a bungalow on the grounds of a nursing home where he is regularly visited by caretakers as well as friends and family. But apart from that, he is entirely self-sufficient and still walks a mile a day to keep fit.